everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Ollie. I'm Carolyn April. And as always, looking for my good buddy, Seth Robinson. Hello. What's up? Ah, enjoying uh, spring weather, uh, listening to the sound of my grass being cut outside. Mm. Um, what else is up? Not too much. Been a busy week, but, uh, you know, I think I'm going to go away to the beach up to Maine this weekend for the first time since the year started. So I guess that's another little signal of uh, seasons changing for me. How are you, you doing? Will you beat the rush if you go out this weekend? Does it really pick up after Memorial Day? Yeah, like once school gets out, you know, for public school kids, you know, um, then it gets busy. I mean, the yeah. real season, the real season doesn't start until until um, then. So it's even beyond Memorial Day weekend will be busy that weekend, but as a long weekend. But then people go back and there's still school here. We go to school um, till, you know, the third week of June, second week of June. So really the season doesn't kick off until after then. So, but there'll be things open. So it's not so preseason this weekend that'll be a, you know, a ghost town. So it's kind of a nice time to go up where you don't have a ton of tourists and summer people yet, but it, there's still restaurants and things open so that you're not, you know, up there. Like if you go in the dead of winter, there's just nothing to do. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I got away last week and I went up to Milwaukee just for a day and it's like two hours North of me. And, um, I, I left here and it was 20 degrees colder in Milwaukee than it was here. I was like, I uh, hadn't looked at the weather closely enough, I guess. So I was, I was not expecting that. That that didn't quite turn that's, into the, the nice uh, day that I was hoping it would be. Well, that's pretty significant. Yeah. It can be like that when we go to Maine is only an hour so um, away from here, but it's, it's on right on the ocean. Yeah. And it's, it's total microclimate. The minute you cross over toward the water, it can be 10 to 15 degrees colder. And it typically is, but, um, but looking forward to getting out of Dodge. Yeah. Good. It'll, it'll yeah. be good to get a, get a break. It's been a little, little busy. Yeah. Um, well, we we're going to talk about work. We're going to talk about worker bee activity today, aren't we, in the state of the workforce? We are. We got uh, two new studies that have come out looking at workforce stuff. There's state of the workforce, and then there's workforce and learning trends. And we're just going to cherry pick, you know, one thing from each one of those to dive into. But, you know, there's a ton of information in both of those. State of the tech workforce looks at the overall technology workforce in the U.S., uh, we'll also do a version for the UK later this year, but this one looks at the US and it looks at net tech employment. So both in the technology industry and then technology workers across different industries, it breaks things down by state, by metro area. There's lots and lots of data in there. And then the workforce and learning trends is a survey of HR professionals that looks at how organizations are starting to think about or continuing to think about the way that they train their workforce and, and the types of programs and policies that they have to try to build their skills. So we're going to dive into both of those today. Yeah, uh, these are big meaty studies, like you said. So, you know, we're really skimming the top here because there's a, you know, a lot to digest in both. And as workforce is, you know, pretty much, um, you know, the main focus area for CompTIA, whether you work in the tech industry or you work in a tech job or you aspire to be, um, everything that's contained in this in this big set of data is really important for anyone who's trying to map out a career, somebody who's mid-career, somebody who just wants to learn all they, you know, all there is to know right now about the look and feel of the, of, of the workforce in technology and all the opportunity that sits there. So it's sort of an exciting little treasure trove of stuff that we've got. Yeah, for sure. And 
we're going to kind of frame it today as looking at the two sides of demand and supply uh, yeah. and and what employers are looking for and how candidates and current employees can maybe try to match up their skills to provide those things that employers are looking for. So at the at the top level, out of state of the tech workforce, uh, just some of the growth numbers and projections are that last year, the overall tech employment, so again, considering both the, the employees that are working in the technology industry, whether they're technical or not, and then those technical employees that are working in other industries like banking or education or healthcare or whatever, all of that employment grew by 3.2% in 2022. And we are projecting another 3% growth in 2023. And for comparison's sake, the overall U.S. employment picture is expected to grow by about 1.9%. So the, the tech employment picture is going to grow uh, a little bit more robustly than the overall employment picture next year. If you look at the next 10 years and you kind of zoom out and you think about the decade to come ending in 2020, 2033, overall tech employment is expected to grow by 19% compared to U.S. employment of 11%. So it's almost double over the next decade. And I mean, I think those numbers kind of put to rest any concerns that have sprouted up uh, that we've talked about on this show a little bit from some of the big tech firms doing some layoffs and some business corrections and whether or not that impacts the overall trajectory of technology workers, it definitely doesn't seem to. That trajectory seems to continue to be pointing up and to the right. Yeah, I'd say the other thing it somewhat puts to rest here is the, the sort of apprehension around things like automation um, we're going to talk a little bit of our, about artificial intelligence. Um, very important technologies that are going to have a massive impact on the workforce. But the the fear that those things are going to supplant actual human beings within the workforce, the tech workforce, um, is not what we're seeing borne out by these statistics. So I think the two things that you just discussed, like whether these te the tech industry layoffs are some sort of harbinger for bad things to come. It turns out it doesn't look that way. And then also, I think, you know, these automation technologies that a lot of um, people in the workforce may be worried about uh, taking their job, to be blunt, um, is probably not the case. In fact, it may be that certain jobs are, are taken over, um, but others will open up. There's going to be opportunity. A lot of um, shifting of, of, of chairs um, around to see, you know, who, which job roles are going to be mainly done by humans and others by automation. Yeah, yeah, I think one big thing that people don't recognize about automation is that automation tends to increase appetite. So the more that you can automate something, the more that companies want that or the more that people want that thing. And then that drives growth in other areas. So if it's if it's automating, you know, a simple routine task, then you still have to kind of account for that automation. And I, I think we see that playing out in the different job families or the different families of job roles that are existing in the in the technology space, starting with infrastructure, uh, you know that one is kind of the uh, the the original job family. You know most people think of IT yeah. and they think of people pulling cable or setting up servers or whatever, and a lot of that still happens. A lot of it happens virtually. It happens within cloud providers, and it's not a huge surprise that the infrastructure family is expected to have the lowest growth of all these four families, but that growth is still above the national average. You know, there still needs to be a lot of infrastructure set up in order to do all the other things. 
And there's still a lot of dynamic things happening, uh, like adjusting to cloud models and cloud optimization within infrastructure. So there's still a lot of opportunity there. But then, like you mentioned, with artificial intelligence, that's kind of in the family of software. That is currently the, the biggest base of employment. There's lots and lots of people doing software. We're expecting to see relatively good growth there, which is pretty impressive on top of such a big base. And like you mentioned, artificial intelligence is one of the main things that's kind of driving the evolution of what companies are looking for in software. But then the two areas that are going to grow the most are cybersecurity and data. So cybersecurity has the second uh, highest projected growth. And that's really due to all the response to digital transformation as companies are doing more and more things with technology. There's more and more that they have to do to secure that, to account for privacy, to account for compliance with different governmental regulations. And that's that cybersecurity picture gets more and more complex as companies are doing more with their technology. And then data is where things are going the most. And I, I think a lot of that digital transformation effort is centered around data as, as companies have already kind of stood up their infrastructure. Maybe they've built some software applications the, the main point of competitive differentiation is in data and doing that data analysis and having all the management of data that allows that data analysis. So we're expecting to see a lot of growth there. And that's just a quick overview of these four job families. But I think it shows that there's a lot of opportunity uh, in whatever your interests might be. Yeah, clearly. I mean, you've got a, a broad palette to work with here. Um, you know, it's not surprising that infrastructure is the, the 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 lowest growth area. But again, you said it's still very dynamic. It's still growing. It's the most mature. It's what you said. It's where people, you know, initially think about uh, a tech role or a tech job. Um, it's the kind of the traditional place to begin. But the three other areas obviously are very exciting. And every study that we've done, just to bring this a little bit into the, the tech business world and, and the IT channel, areas like cybersecurity and even software development around AI and how to harness data, all three of those areas are going to be opportunity and growth areas for companies that may, may have um, mainly lived in the infrastructure world. And we talked a lot in a couple of volleys back about um, the, the state of the IT channel and how it, it is keeping one foot in the world of infrastructure, but is very much also embracing some of these other areas. And I think a lot of that has to do with customer demand and that companies and, com and customer companies wanting to be cutting edge and take advantage of the data that they have within their organization to be able to um, reach their goals and their business outcomes, um, use software and AI to be able to be innovative and to provide good customer experience. And then the whole cybersecurity area is just gonna continue to be, um, I think an enormous source of growth and revenue for a lot of companies and spending. So, you know, for the end user companies, they are looking to spend um, on cybersecurity because they realize that it is sort of, um, a, you know, it's it's a no-brainer need within their organization um, in order to be competitive because um, the opposite, you know, would be horribly untrue if they have some sort of bad data breach or whatever. So it's, it, it, like I said, at the outset, when we talk about the, the tech industry as a whole in terms of work and, and career opportunity, it's kind of a wide open space. Yeah, yeah. And I... I think the other thing that you kind of hinted at when you're talking about, you know, these companies and the way that they're shifting to uh, address different challenges that are coming up is that not all technology is created equal. I think we're finding that with companies that are serving uh, their, their clients with technology services and with individuals that are pursuing technology careers that 
something in software requires a fairly different skill set than something in hardware or infrastructure. Um, even the way that you think about problems and the way that you go about problem solving tends to be a little different. Uh, and, and you don't really see a lot of crosstalk you know, with, with somebody that's been in infrastructure coming over and becoming a, you know, a top-notch software developer. It can certainly happen, but I don't think it's the norm. Uh, and I think the same holds for some of those other fields as well. I think some of them are a little more prone than others to kind of be able to, to transfer skills, but they, they are developing their, their own skill sets uh, and, and individuals and companies kind of have to be aware of that. Well, you're an engineer. I think of it that way sometimes, you know, we kind of talk about engineering and engineers in one bucket, but then there's so many different disciplines. And I imagine you'd be the expert here. They don't always cross over. I mean, an electrical engineering person is not the same as a software engineer is not the same as an industrial engineer there, you know, so the engineer moniker is just really a giant umbrella term for all of these individual disciplines that, like you said, may not have any crossover at all in terms of the skills. Yeah, it's, you know, th th these are very complex roles, especially the more advanced they get, right? And and so you have to specialize to some degree, and a lot of that specialization doesn't necessarily transfer over. You know, some of it does. There are some foundational things that stay the same, but yeah, the, the, the further you get, the the more difficult it is, I think, to, to just swap over and begin doing something completely new. And I think that speaks to the supply side of this equation. And so one thing that we wanna look at with that, that comes out of the workforce and learning trend study is this concept of a T-shaped skills model, which is something that you know in HR circles and, and workforce circles has been around for a while, but we're seeing kind of renewed interest in it. And, and I think the reason for that is the complexity of these jobs and the, the role that companies are expecting their technologists to play when it comes to advancing business strategy. So, you know, real simply, the T-shaped model is that on, on one axis, you know, on the vertical axis, you're talking about technical depth. So if you're a software developer, you're getting better and better at the discipline of doing software development and coding practices and maybe DevOps uh, and things like that. And, and you're becoming, you know, maybe going from a junior software developer to a senior software developer. And then the other axis, the horizontal axis, is describing breadth of technical skills. So if you're a software developer, maybe you're learning a little bit more about cybersecurity so that when you're writing your code, you're keeping cybersecurity in the back of your mind. Yeah. Uh, that breadth uh, axis also includes what we call durable skills like communication or teamwork or problem solving uh, that are the things that are really becoming more important as these people are trying to plug into the business more and more and trying to make sure that whatever technology they're building or implementing is helping meet business objectives. So I think that companies are starting to think more about this two-axis T-shaped model because they're trying to develop employees that can contribute more and more to the business. So that's something that's very, very important for candidates to keep in mind when they are building their skill sets is to try to be on both both axes um, and be able to demonstrate those abilities to um, to their potential employers. I imagine and I think this is contained a bit in the report is this is challenging, too, for organizations that are trying to hire and trying to formulate an HR process that's able to measure these two things on the uh, on the on the T uh, T scale, um, I think they're probably very good in many ways at, at measuring those technical skills uh, for potential candidates. But then the other skills are a little 
less tangible and specific in terms of testing for. Um, and, and I think that organizations are probably kind of struggling a little bit to come up to speed on how to do that so that you do get the most well-rounded potential candidates in the pool. Yeah, I, I think they might even be struggling with the technical depth, you know, the, the, the stuff that's been the, the typical hardcore technical skills that have always been looked for. I, I don't know how well they're able to quantify exactly what those those skills are. And so when it comes to trying to use a proxy for skills like a degree or certifications, mm. I, I think that's where we see the struggle that, that companies don't always understand, okay, what does this certification really validate? And, and is that a match for the skills that I need? And, and I think another reason that it's becoming so challenging is because those skills are evolving. So something like AI is, is finding its way into technical skills, either depth or breadth, even if you're not a software developer. So not every company is necessarily going to be building their own AI algorithms, but AI is probably going to feature in almost every job description about like, do you know what this thing is? Do you know how to use tools that might have uh, AI features in them? Do you know how to evaluate that output? Those types of things are going to, to play in. And, and sometimes it might be technical depth and sometimes it might be breadth. But I, I think that it's a big challenge, especially for HR managers that are talking to technical managers and they don't understand all the technology and they're trying to create this job posting. Um, so are they getting it right all the time? So I, I think that there's this concept that they want to use a T-shaped model and they want to look for depth and breadth. But then the details behind that and actually filling out those skills and understanding what they are and understanding what types of credentials might prove as validation of those skills. I think that's another big hill to climb. Well, I think one of the ways around, and we've talked about this a little, is not to put everything in the job posting in terms of all the technical skills you're looking for and all the breadth. You may not get it. You're probably not going to get 100% of anything from one candidate. And so the ability of an organization to bring somebody in who's 70% of the way there and have in-house training, which is something that I think is addressed a bit in the research here, is to bring people up to speed on the areas they may be lacking in. And so if they don't have that full picture of how to incorporate cybersecurity into whatever they're doing in terms of software development, um, that's something they may learn on the job. Um, and so it, at least it opens up the field for companies that are hiring so that they only, you know, if they're looking for the, the candidates with 100% of everything they want on the T-scale, um, they're going to have only a handful of people to look at if they're lucky. If they are more lenient in what they're looking for and understand that they can do and put into place the type of training that's needed um, in-house, or they do it within people that they already have on staff, um, then they are going to be a lot more flexible and have a lot more candidates to look at. Yeah, I, I think that's all right. I think that's what makes this model so interesting is that it, it's pretty simple to understand, okay, depth and breadth, you know, I got it. But then how does that play out? You know, how are you building a taxonomy around those skills so that you understand what they all are and what you need in the organization? And how are you quantifying where your gaps might be? And how are you building internal training programs and policies and talent mobility programs that might help address this rather than doing exactly what you're saying and looking for that unicorn candidate all the time. Right. Um, so I, I think it's really interesting. I think it's something that we're going to start hearing a lot more about and that we are probably going to be utilizing more in the research uh, as, as a tool that helps us dig into those next, next levels of, of skills and how candidates can think about building all of their skills on a T model in order to match up what an employer is looking for. Yep. 
So uh, for a real world example on this, I think it's time to turn to our career spotlight segment. And we are going to hear from Joseph, who is working as a network administrator in the healthcare field. A lot of what I do focuses around network and security and supporting the constant growing regulations and compliance around HIPAA. I support the different devices that are connecting the interoperability for taking care of the children. I'm the backbone that supports the doctors and their tools. Well, it sounds like he's a good example of somebody who has to have a breadth of skills here and also keep up with an ever-changing um, scenario that is compliance, especially in the medical field. So it's, you know, it's not a set set of skills that I've, I, I know how to do this and this is all I have to know. It's a constant learning process, I think. And, and that job, that type of job in IT sort of typifies that as a, a constant learning process, which means to get back to our, our T-shaped discussion here is it is a constant revving of skills, both on the technical side and on the breadth side of understanding that you're not just, it's not just about how you do something technically, but it's about the, um, the, the rules and regulations that might be applicable to that technical move that you might be making. So pretty cool job. Yeah, he, he mentioned the third area that we really hadn't discussed yet. You know, he talked about he's a network administrator and then he mentioned, yep. I have to think about cybersecurity, so yep. that's some breadth. But then he talked about HIPAA, which is like this industry specific stuff um, yep. that, that more and more industries is they're building a basic foundation of computing. One of the layers that they need to build on top of that then is stuff that's specific to their industry. And so that requires, you know, yet more specialized knowledge in these candidates uh, and, and a different kind of aspect of that breadth that they're trying to build. So really interesting to hear from him and, uh, and see those different aspects that are important in his job. Yeah, definitely. I think that level of, of vertical expertise that, that, that rises to a, a specific regulatory um, types of things to consider, that's, that's very much a learn on the job type of thing um, in, in many of these folks um, when they enter organizations. So um, a growth path for sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that'll do it for today. We'll have the links to both of these reports in the show notes so that people can check out everything that's inside them. Because like we mentioned before, there's an awful lot more in both of them that we didn't really cover here. So, you know, please check those out if you get a chance. And thanks, as always, to our producer, Andrew McMillan, for helping us with this episode. And Carolyn, I will see you next time. You will. Have a good one.